Welcome to the podcast in search of the perfect movie soundtrack. When the movie needs the soundtrack as much as the soundtrack needs the movie. I'm Joshua Weber. I'm Heather Samples. And I am the Matthew Lombardi. <laughs> if you use that, you're dead. Uh, <laughs> we begin this week's episode with a special message to listeners from Heather. Although we here at the Perfect Movie Soundtrack did not plan for this episode to drop in the ethereal honeymoon glow of Beyonce's Renaissance release, we wish joyous tidings to all who celebrate. If you have spent the last four days ODing on the new album, we invite you to step back in time to the year 2000 when our queen was crowned. House fans, queers, single ladies, fierce baseball bat wielders, and everyone who got and remains forever in formation, we, or at least I, dedicate this episode to you. Thank you, Heather. Are you guys ready to talk about Charlie's Angels? Of course. I was born ready to talk about Charlie's Angels. I'm so glad to hear it because uh, Charlie's Angels, parentheses, 2000, end parentheses, is... Oh, wait, we were supposed to watch the 2000 one? <laughs> There, I, I watched every other one but the 2000 I didn't one. know there was a 2019 one. Um, I picked this movie, which I know is like a Bonyanis piece of just absolute mania. I am well aware. I am well aware of that. I think we're going to have fun with it. I think it's it's worth looking at something as absolutely mindfucky as this movie is. <laughs> That's but a the good reason way to describe it, it's mindfucky. It is. Yeah. Uh, but I I picked it because um, I remembered it as this like major moment in my experience of soundtracks as like oh soundtracks are the route to fun music. If you want to have fun with music, if you want party music, if you want music that makes you want to sing along with your buddies, a soundtrack is the way to get there. Um, I mean, in fact, like singing along to Independent Women, the song that I think we can, we, I hope we get to the point where someone argues tonight that that song launched Beyonce. Um, but singing along to that song is like some of the most fun I have ever had, I would say. And wow. yeah, I mean, that song was just everywhere. And every Wait, girl- can you give us the scene? Are you at a party? Are you at a, at a bar? Oh, no, at a club? No, are, no, are you in even, someone's apartment drunk? No, it's like, it's so much lower key than that. It's just like in, in, uh, in somebody's kitchen in their apartment and the song comes on and all the girls in the apartment just start singing it and like shaking their booties. I mean, I remember, I remember <laughs> it's very singing. Charles Angels. Yes. It's, it's such a fun song. Anyway, it's a fun, it's a, it's a, it's a soundtrack that to me is all about like cramming as much fun in as possible. And I thought that we had gone through so many movies at this point that are not really about fun in the soundtrack. Mm. The soundtrack is trying to do something very different. So I wanted to throw one in the mix that's like, what happens when the soundtrack is, is an unapologetic jukebox of fun? They go where no one else dares. They do what no one else can. So when there's only one chance to get it right, they're the ones to call. Who are you people? Damn, I hate to fly. Oh boy. Columbia Pictures presents 
$1,000, the girl catches him. A new breed of knockout. Could you hold on a second? It's just been kind of crazy this week at work. Cameron Diaz. I'm like a virgin, you know? I mean, it's my first time. Here. Drew Barrymore. A little help? Lucy Liu. At your service. And Bill Murray. I'm on fire. This season, get some action. Charlie's Angels. And that's kicking your... This movie was Drew Barrymore's uh, nostalgia fever dream. That when she is in her <laughs> early 20s and she hears that Sony has gotten uh, the rights to this reboot movie and she goes nuts and says, like, I have to be the person to make that movie because I loved that TV show. And I grew up on this and I have like such a, an attachment to these characters and to the storytelling in that show. And I want to be in charge of this. And so she does her damnedest to, to convince Sony that she should be the producer and this should be her movie. She's 24 years old. That's what I was going to say. I just, she's born in 1975. So yeah. Yeah. She's like and a kid. I mean, granted, she's Drew Barrymore, so she was like 35 years old when she was seven. But, yeah. <laughs> but she, <laughs> that's, that's but a she, nice way to she's put also it. like fifth generation Hollywood. Yeah, yeah, she's legacy. She's you know she's been around the block. She's like she's got a lot of experience, let's say, of a lot of she's different. Married kinds. to Tom Green. She's got Tom Green in the in the bag <laughs> at this point. But she, but my point is like she's awfully young to be in in this moment of the nostalgia fever dream. And, hmm. I, and, I, and I think that that might be instructive for us because the point of nostalgia in the soundtrack is, I think, one of the questions that sparked the whole show for us. And we've been talking about it off and on uh, since we started the show. Like, what does, what does nostalgia mean? Is it a disease? Is it something lovely that, like, brings us to a moment and a mood that feels good and connects us to other human Ooh, beings? Did, did Charlie's Angel soften you up on nostalgia? Well, I think is that that's what's happening here. I think that's a great question and like one that I wanted to think about because I can really relate to how uh, how attached Drew Barrymore felt to this material and how much she wanted to be a part of authoring its reboot. And it's a it's an unapologetically jukebox movie, and it's a movie that was born of a deep and authentic case of nostalgia. In preparation for this, I watched the Charlie's Angels pilot movie and most of the first episode. I, I didn't quite make it through the all the way through the first episode. I thought you were joking when you told yeah, me that. I didn't you know you were that. really doing it. I did not think you were serious. I realized that I didn't know the source material. This is dedication. <laughs> Heather, you said that you shared Drew Barrymore's excitement about this idea of a reboot. I actually was wondering how many people in 2000 that could say that or would say that because it was definitely not part of it was not part of my childhood. No, 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 no. I just meant I understand her feeling wanting that that reboot of the thing that mattered to her when she was a kid. I did not mean that I felt that about Charlie's Angels. Okay. I actually yeah. didn't watch the show at all. Well, I'm wondering I'm wondering what what is the age group that actually did feel that about it? Because the show 
is it debuts in 1976. Mm. I think it goes to like 1980, 1981. When I was growing up, Charlie's Angels was not a significant rerun. Chips was on. Fall Guy was on. Simon and Simon was on. Oh my Lots God. of sitcoms were Fall on. Um, it was. I, I did not see <laughs> Charlie's Angels a lot when I was a kid. So I'm not that familiar with it. It was on somewhere though because oh, I had sure seen was, episodes but... of it. I don't know where it was on, but it definitely ended up on cable in the 90s. I had been seeing Farrah Fawcett's look my whole life i get that i got the concept i knew the idea but i just wondered like how many people were actually like oh my god i've been dying for this because i think that those people would have been fairly old at the time this movie came out and this movie does not seem like it's aimed for older people at all it is a it is a bit of a mystery is like exactly who was this movie made yeah, for i wonder that kids in the 90s who watch mtv i think i I think yes. it's very much like when we had our Pulp Fiction conversation, the 70s were super cool. You knew about 70s shit and references, and you kind of saw them from afar and knew there was some fun, interesting stuff going on there. So like the Brady Bunch remake, I think everyone knew what Charlie's Angels was, but maybe never saw an episode, but they knew it was cool 70s shit. Just the same trick kind of Quentin Tarantino is doing in a different way. But I, I, would, actually, I would actually say that the Brady Bunch is the complete opposite situation because everybody well, you did see everybody that knew everything about Brady Bunch going into the yeah, movies. Because it was on Nick at Night yeah, or something, it was, wasn't it? It was, like it was on everywhere forever. Everywhere. I must have been very yeah. inexpensive to yeah. play or something because everybody yeah. knew the Brady Bunch. So those movies were actually able to really make fun of themselves. This movie has some things that happen in it that don't make any goddamn sense. There's a scene where one of the characters... The characters are like tugging somebody back and forth, right? So imagine there's a character on each side of a person and one person's tugging them this way, the other person's tugging them that way. And they do that back and forth a few times and somebody makes a joke that's something along the lines of, I'm not a yo-yo. But it doesn't make any sense because you don't tug a yo-yo back and forth. What are you talking about? <laughs> There's another scene where Lucy Liu is shooting at the... At, at a, she, what she's would be shooting. your preferred metaphor? Wait, then. wait, wait. Joshua, Joshua, Joshua. This is his number you're, one issue with the movie. What? You're, yeah, exactly. You're, of all the things huh. that, that to be annoyed by in this movie, <laughs> it's, it's yeah. the fact no, that I, the verticality uh, of yo-yo is... It's not is, that... It's not that LL Cool J jumps out of a plane, then rips off his head, and it's really Drew Barrymore underneath. <laughs> I have it's a that point. I have a larger a point. Yo-Yo I'm goes making. up and down, not back and forth, guys. So there's also a scene where Lucy Liu is shooting an arrow up at a at a helicopter, and she says something like, "I want to win the teddy bear," and it's like the dumb. I mean. It yeah, doesn't even it's like, as like a joke there. within the scene in a movie that's hyper silly. It doesn't make any goddamn sense. And the thing is, apparently, the yo-yo line is an <laughs> iconic line from the original show. And they and I wonder about how many of these incredibly stupid things that make no sense whatsoever are actually references from the show that no one knows because it's not like Brady. Bunch. Oh, this is a good. No theory. one knows this show. No one knows what you're referencing. And, but I, so I watched the show and. Now that I've seen the show, I don't know where they got the movie from. Oh, I thought you were going to say you heard the lines and in their research, they were like, these lines are so stupid. We got to put them in the movie. I didn't watch the whole uh, the whole series, unfortunately. But you know what? I, I, I would be tempted to watch more of the show. It's pretty good. The show is very different. I thought that I would see more relationship between the two. And rather, what I saw more was like, oh, I don't know if McG watched this television show. I mean, maybe he's like me and he never saw it. I don't know. It doesn't look like the show. But- 
whereas like the Brady Bunch remakes like are just so indebted to the actual show and the jokes are so wound up mm. within the show, it feels like the show even while it's making fun of the show. This does not feel like the show at all. The characters don't act like the women in the show. The women do not act insane like this in the show. <laughs> <laughs> So you think McG was not faithful to the source uh, material? I, it doesn't look like the source <laughs> material much at all. McG. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's just the stupidest fucking industry name a person could give themselves. It sounds perfectly 2000 to me, though. I was like, that sounds like something from 2000. I think the movie does have going for it, uh, especially looking back on it now, is that there really is uh, some serious like female action hero thing happening here that I think we were starting to see on TV uh, before, right, around the time this movie is made. We've got Buffy the Vampire Slayer kind of stuff going on. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that we had a whole lot of... Uh, we had Laura Croft Tomb Raider. Yeah, we weren't we weren't in a Laura Croft Tomb Raider space. It's coming. And it's close. It's close. Yeah, I think it comes out a year or two after. But what we've got are like Linda Hamilton and T2. We've got Sigourney Weaver in the Alien movies. Like we've got these these women action heroes who are central to the to the story um but they have been like desexualized completely in order to play these roles they have to play the roles from this like very masculine slant and and when there's uh, a sexualized part of their character it's really controlled and really disciplined um and it's and it's not it's not a playful experience for them or for their you know their uh foils their male foils and that is 100 percent the opposite in charlie's angels like Mm -hmm. these characters are talking openly and constantly about how they use their sexuality and their femininity to get where they want to get against the bad guys um and I mean, look, it's not it's not like a breakthrough moment in third wave American feminism. No, no? but okay. no, hmm. it's not. But it but I think it deserves a little bit of credit from us 20 some years later for uh, for for the way that it allows women to be on screen. Hmm. Um, and I, I, I like I, I think I think you could uh, assume that Charlie's Angels as a as a like collection of ip is in some ways for women but ultimately like for men but i don't think that this movie is i think this movie is like really for women there is definitely mcg's male gaze going on though when did you feel like uh your like your male gaze was being uh serviced uh, constantly it's 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 definitely like i get what you're saying and i agree but it's definitely the having your cake and eat it too because i get how these roles are empowering and they're sex positive and you know it feels to me like the the 90s action heroes though we had to go that route to get to charlie's angels because if you just started with charlie's angels 
people probably wouldn't buy that in the 90s i guess we're talking second wave feminism then like mm, you need I to have like saying. the tough mm-hmm. ladies because if yeah. they just showed up like cameron diaz um when she's like dancing in around undies. in spider-man undies and then a delivery man goes to the door and he's cute and she's in her spider-man undies little tight t-shirt looking super babish and then he gives her the package and then she has a line that's uh, her little a little raunchy and she says oh i signed the waiver you can stick anything in my slot you want or you can stick things in my slot now or something like that and it's like this funny if you did that before you know terminator or alien or whatever people would probably roll their eyes and not like it so i feel like this came out the other side but it feels natural it feels like they're having fun it feels like they're in control of it but i'm kind of like i wish drew barrymore just directed it (laughs) yeah it probably would have been better if she'd done that i read that she bought the rights to charlie's angels before they i don't know if this is true but this is what i read that she bought the rights to charlie's angels um and made like 40 million dollars or something off the movie I, i hope that she did yeah I'm I'm all for her making money off of this movie, which is maybe like a good segue to the crown jewel of the soundtrack, which is an anthem for everything we were just talking about. Mm-hmm. Drew Barrymore getting her paper and the idea that everyone in this movie is uh, very aware of how to inhabit a female body. Are you throwing this to Joshua? <laughs> I think that you might be referencing independent women. <laughs> Question, tell me what you think about me. I buy my own diamonds and I buy my own rings. Only ring your belly when I'm feeling lonely. When it's all over, please get up and leave. Question, tell me how you feel about this. Try to control me, boy, you get dismissed. Pay my own condo and I pay my own bills. Always 50-50 in relationships. The shoes on my feet. Um, when Heather, uh said we're gonna do this movie and i went and looked at things i saw the on the list there's a song by destiny's child called independent women part one and heather had been talking about how excited she was to talk about uh this song and so i looked at it and i said okay yeah great independent women part one good it wasn't until i listened to it that i remembered oh yes i do remember this song i do remember when it was on the radio i i I sort of remembered the question (laughs) and so i I remember sort of around that time like saying framing things that way sometimes like saying question Um, (laughs) but that's about it and and you know destiny's child was sort of a big deal to everybody i guess but it also never really uh, broke through much for me. I am just, you know, it's not really on the radio stations that I would have been listening to. <laughs> yeah, so it didn't cross my path too much. And then, of course, we all know that what happens is Beyonce goes on and, you know, owns the world and, and all of this stuff. All along that way, <laughs> I never really cared. Like, I just didn't really, it didn't really cross my path much. I mean... Obviously, it crossed my path all the time. Like, I mean, you can't do anything in this world without hearing about Beyonce all the time. Um, So I did, you know, but I never really felt that I needed to investigate it any further. You know, you hear songs, they're on the radio. I hear them. They play at Yankee games. I hear it. You know, it's there. Uh, You know, people say she's the most beautiful woman in in the universe. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's just there for me. I just feel very like, okay, about the whole thing. I don't dislike it. I don't have much of an opinion on it. But I'm saying all this because (laughs) when we were discussing this in our text thread, Heather made a little off comment about 
the fact that she thinks that there's a thing that men do with Beyonce that is a very passive aggressive. And I think that maybe that's what I'm doing. I certainly don't think that's what I'm doing because I really legitimately just don't really care that much. And that may sound like a super negative thing. Like I have dislike. I don't, I just don't feel anything, but I've said enough and it's time for me to start listening. <laughs> <laughs> so Heather, what is, what, what, what is this theory that you have? Yes. What is it that, that, that you were referencing that maybe I'm doing when it comes to Beyonce? Well, first also, of do all, you want to apologize to Beyonce right now before we move on, Joshua? I'd be happy to. <laughs> yeah, but Beyonce, I you see everybody loves you. You must be really nice. I don't know. <laughs> um, when you asked me to apologize to Alanis, I refused. But Joshua, was <laughs> but you more hate than happy Alanis. To. That's a very different thing. <laughs> um, I mean, I wasn't accusing you of doing this. I'm I'm okay with it. I, I'll okay. take I'll well, take it. It's a pattern that I've noticed among particularly straight white men, but I think we, it probably goes beyond the straight and the white to some other men, where like the response to Beyonce is this sort of aloof, uh, she doesn't do it for me mm. kind of thing. And, and like the primary takeaway for them, if you ask them about Beyonce, is, is something along the lines of, She's uh she's like manufactured pop. Yeah, she's great at it, but you know, if you had a machine as big as hers marching in back of you all the time, you'd be great at it too, or at least plenty of other people would. And I don't really love the music. It doesn't really matter to me. I don't really care. I'm not really sure why so many people love her. Eh. It's sort of it's all sort mm -hmm. of like ends on an eh. And I I think that uh, that is a reaction to her that I've never encountered from any women hmm. ever, but I have heard it from many men. Yeah, it's it's somewhat along the lines of my Beyonce position as well. I'm just yeah. gonna be honest here. Yeah, because yeah. I understand that we need divas in this world, and she's filling the role of one. And she does it well, but yeah, she doesn't take me to the other place. I think because she's so faultless. Like when people have gaffes and screw up and say the wrong thing, or when Britney Spears shaves her head, that's when you find yourself relating. And be, I think it's because Beyonce never seems to uh, crack. She's just so good at it. Yeah, I think that there are like you can either be relatable or you can be aspirational or you can be uh, one of these like very rare birds who kind of oscillates between the two or like balances those two. Mm -hmm. If you're in the diva space, these are like the, the archetypes of diva, but, and Beyonce is so controlling and has been for so long in part because her parents controlled her and to, like raised her in this structure of and controlling I feel like the image. You can and feel that, and it's not interesting. Yeah, you can feel sometimes. that, and and so and she is she's very much like in the aspirational space, not the relatable space. But I will say that like I have had moments walking down the sidewalk in New York, coming home from work having a day where I crushed some stupid fucking men at the office, <laughs> knowing mm -hmm, that like mm -hmm. I am wearing a 
boss bitch outfit that no one else in my fucking workplace would ever dare to wear <laughs> and and just like stomped my way to the train listening to Beyonce and thinking I am a queen and no one can mess with me and that feeling is something that I think a lot of her music gives to an awful lot of people shut up no one said to open your mouth shut up if you do not like me how about of like start like like little baby Beyonce little like fuzzy chick Beyonce is uh, is what we get in Independent Women Part 1. We see that it's the very beginning of what over the course of the next 20 years will become this career that's totally defined by like uh, a kind of like pop girl power mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. that has its appeal. It, it, it does. It has, an, it has appeal I think. All right. I think you sold. I think you sold it from your point of view. You sold it very well. I'm trying to think of what music I put on when I'm pulling off an outfit like that. <laughs> yeah, let, let me know if you figure it out. So I've been playing it more and more, and watching my wife and five year old daughter dance to it, and it it's it gets better and better the more you hear it. And I was enjoying hearing it, and I was really appreciating it. But he, this is what the most absolutely amazing thing about this song is and i wish i did a little more research but a song to become successful possibly even boost a career or push a career to the next level maybe it was going to happen anyway because it's beyonce but this might have helped and for that song to have corny movie lyrics into it in it that is amazing lucy lou with my girl drew cameron d and destiny charlie's angels come on are the first like, like few lines of the song. But what song transcends its movie? Like we were talking about like, you know, like Ghostbusters or you know, songs like that and they're just the movie song. This song seems to be more prominent. Yet she's referencing this like silly cheesy movie from Yeah, from which 2000, I think is, in some ways which it's like is the, a testament to how good the song is, I guess. It is, and it's also like a proof of like, you know, how great Beyonce is and what a great uh way like song it is and what a great performance it is of that song it's a it's a trash ridiculous like let's get a custom song for the movie throw some Mm. shit in there Mm -hmm. move on with our lives put it at the at the back of the credits let it play while people are leaving the theater Mm -hmm. kind of thing but this one actually worked because those songs never work so well that it that it just like absolutely teleported out of that space that it was designed for and into something completely completely different. See, I wanted to say all that you just said about how well the song works as custom made for a movie about the Aerosmith song Angel's Eye. Tell us about <laughs> no, Angel's I'm joking. Eye. <laughs> it's so stupid. It's like Aerosmith spent like four minutes on this song. Like they got the call from <laughs> from Mick G and they're like, we're on it. And then like and they just Mick put the word like walked from his phone and sat down on the couch <laughs> and then the phone rang again and said, We did it. Like it is just so so stupid. Um I think another thing that this movie is doing that's really fun with the soundtrack is but again, because it's just straight up unapologetic jukebox style soundtrack and also shadow soundtrack where, where it's just like a song, a second, a song, a second, mm-hmm. another one, another one, another one, another one. We get to see songs 
operating really transactionally for us as the audience. We're, we're getting a song that's like, think this, feel this, right. yeah. vibe this, be here, do this. And you're supposed to just like click into what McGee is telling you to do with that song in that moment. And it's very eclectic. Yeah. You have disco hits like Heaven Must Be Missing an Angel. Uh, turning Japanese, 80s pop song. And then you even have early hip hop stuff like um, DJ Jazzy Jeff and Fresh Prince, Boom Shake the Room, Baby's Got Back, The Humpty Dance. Stop what you're doing, cause I'm about to ruin the image and the style that you're used to. I look funny, but yo, I'm making money. (laughs) (laughs) And so you're going from through the 70s, 80s, 90s, and the the contemporary moment, 2000, all back and forth bouncing around like a pinball between all these genres. Uh, Yeah, a lot of these songs, a lot of the songs, especially the ones on the Shadows soundtrack, sometimes they play for, you know, two seconds. Oh yeah, I didn't even get to those. One thing that's fun about a jukebox soundtrack is that it gives you opportunities for a walk-on song, which I feel like we might, we like maybe touched on when we talked about Pretty in Pink, of like the way that we get introduced to Andy at the beginning of the movie via the song Pretty in Pink. Um, and in this movie, Lucy loses money. That's what I want. The best things in life are free. But you can give them to the birds and bees. I want money. That's what I want. Because she was raised in wealth and was like a childhood equestrian. And uh, Drew Barrymore's is I Love Rock and Roll. because she's got the like American flag zippo lighter she's and she's cutting class and hanging out and smoking cigs in the bathroom. And Cameron Diaz gets uh, Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go um, because she's poppy and silly and and like more frenetic than the other two and, and you know, she's she's ditzy. Before you go-go I don't want to miss you hear that Wake me up before you go go Cause I'm not planning on going solo Wake me up I would love to walk into the office one day to to a walk-on song. Oh, yeah. Or like back when I was teaching, I would love to walk into the classroom <laughs> and, have, yes. and have a walk-on song. For sure. Uh, mine, would, mine would be uh, Shoplifters of the World Unite. Will you want to sing it for us? <laughs> No, I can't. Come on. Sorry. I I, I I don't have what you've got. I bet you've sung this song a thousand (laughs) times. Shoplifters of the world, unite and take over. Nice. Excellent. Excellent. (laughs) Shoplifters of the world, unite and take over. Hand it over, hand it over, hand it over. 
I barely, that's a Smith song, right? Yeah, it is. It is, and it's so... Right. I never had a Smith's face. It's so great. I, 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 and I think it works as a walk-on song because it's like, it captures everything I have to offer. I, I am... I am interested in power and control and being in charge but I, am I can feel that I feel that sometimes on the show also completely disinterested in anyone having any power or control or authority or <laughs> being in charge of anyone else so the idea is that the walk-in song is not just a vibe it is also telling something about the you right like it's like it's introducing yeah, your ideally- personality or something right yeah, okay. I feel like like okay. that's what the like like the one place where the jukebox soundtrack maybe earns its literal yeah. keep. Gotcha. Is when it's literally introducing you to somebody. Yeah, mm-hmm. as the character. I I can go because I because actually um I I'm I'm gonna change mine because I was gonna pick Freebird? something that I feel is <laughs> is too closely related to the same uh, musical world as Shoplifters of the World uh, Unite. I was going to originally pick Common People by Pulp. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> it is a good one, but I'm I'm switching now because I feel like that's that's we're too narrow in our taste there. So, I'm going to go in a very <gasps> different direction and pick something that is getting to the same idea of Common People sort of and I'm a, and 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 give us something that we ha- have not heard anywhere else on this episode and I'm going to pick a Merle Haggard song, Big City. Yes. And I'm going to force our listeners to have to listen to a little bit of Merle Haggard and the incredible, incredibleness of his voice and this song. I'm tired of this dirty old city Entirely too much work And never and this song is a it's the same kind of character as as common people in this idea that that um this and this is the character that i want to portray in this walk up i don't know if it actually suits me but this is the character that i'm imagining in in my scene where it's like i am like outside of this world right like i don't quite fit in but i also am thumbing my nose at it at the same time right so like common people's definitely doing that like you were this i am cooler than this because i don't fit right and big cities doing that as well and that it's saying that like i'm tired of this big city i'm tired of all this stuff i need to get back to a place where i belong but it's being sung from the point of view of being in the city so they feel like they have a similar energy to me and this goes deeper than i thought and i like the character that i would be playing as i walked out to big city i find this answer utterly affecting and heartbreaking (laughs) (laughs) i mean i am (laughs) I'm like so moved by the combination of common people and big city and the explanation that both are actually about uh, (laughs) being a stranger in a strange land. I, I love it. Matt, I do not want to follow this. (laughs) So mine is a complete swerve or turn from, from Joshua's uh, heartfelt confession. All right. I was, uh, I'm thinking in the spirit of Charlie's Angels. All right. In, when you're playing these exaggerated characters that are very silly and you got to pick a hit that people know can sing along with. And if I was in Charlie's Angels, I'd want to be the wild card. You don't know what he's going to do next. And I'm just, I'm just a guy from Jersey living in New York. So I pick from 1980, 
Billy Joel's You May Be Right. <laughs> may be crazy, but I just may be the lunatic you're looking for. Turn out the light. Don't try to save me. You may be wrong. Anyway, and I'd have sunglasses on, and I'd walk in, and they'd be like, this guy is fucking crazy. But I might also save the day. You did actually live up to the standard Joshua <laughs> That's a great answer. <laughs> because that is truly, like, like that is the what you see is what you get introduction to Matt Lombardi. That is the, the hundred, it's perfect. <laughs> you, you, you guys are perfect. I love it. <laughs> I want to keep talking about walk-on songs. <laughs> Forever. Well, I, we can have I, others for different genres of movies. We can. As we well. can totally have others for different genres. But uh, and then the, remember, at the very end, he just goes crazy, and he's like, "You may be wrong, but you may be right. You may be wrong, but." And he does that for like ever. That would be like when I'm like dismantling a bomb or something. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Mick G's like, um, God, I wish I could direct this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Barracuda is playing when Lucy Liu comes into uh, Sam Rockwell, the the bad guy who starts out in disguise as a good guy. Mm-hmm. Um, she she comes into his company, and she's she's basically like creating a distraction so that Cameron D and uh, Drew can can make their way into the vault. That's all you need to know, honestly, about <laughs> the, the the plot move of it. And the distraction that Lucy Liu creates is to, and this is kind of fucking amazing, is to take on the persona of like a McKinsey consultant. She, she's, she's like an efficiency expert who's coming into the company to scare people and, and make sure they do their jobs well enough so that they don't get laid off, which I think is like a very interesting Y2K anxiety. It's, it's like, it's like the, the guys from Office Space who show up and, right. mm-hmm. and like threaten everybody's jobs. But Lucy Liu's version of it is, <laughs> is to encase all of that cultural anxiety in dominatrix guard and she is stomping through the office uh, and is is pulling all of the engineers into a room to to create this space for the other two angels to do their thing and that whole scene her entrance her stomping pulling all of the guys into the uh, auditorium so that they can all be contained in one space is all done to hearts barracuda I believe Joshua knows how that song goes. <laughs> if it's been a while for you listeners, Joshua can definitely sing you the beginning of Barracuda. Or you can go did. back and listen to the episode, whatever episode <laughs> Baby Driver is. <laughs> yeah, because it also appears in Baby Driver. And here is something about Barracuda. Did you guys know 
uh, what what Anne and Nancy Wilson were, were thinking about when they wrote this song. Do you know what the song is about? Never heard this. No, I have no idea. Corporate layoffs? <laughs> this is kind of awesome. One of the... You can, you know that like Hart has had all of these moments in their career when the press was just absolutely fucking brutal to them. And usually that was about fat shaming and about like, are you going to be beautiful rock stars or are you not? And like, what's your problem? But there was also this moment early in their career in the mid 70s when there were rumors that they were engaged in an incestuous lesbian relationship. <laughs> wow, no, I never heard yeah. that. Oh, that's what the song is about? Okay, that makes sense. <laughs> the, <laughs> the song is is like written out of the fury of dealing with the reporters who are huh. making this shit up and spreading these oh, stories. Yeah, I never, I never knew that. that. That's awesome. And this and the song is just like all about their rage at being subjected to like the 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 music journalism misogyny and the misogyny of the record industry and all the people that they have to deal with in order to make their music. Right. I'm sure fucking McGee <laughs> uh, did not know any of that and probably never cared to find anything like that out. Um, but I kind of love the idea that in this movie where uh, where sex appeal is is necessary where. Things are not uh, the form of feminism that we might like expect, enjoy, or protect or preserve in 2022. There's still these like undercurrents over and over in the soundtrack, in the movie, in the storytelling, where women are doing like really interesting forms of fighting back, and uh, and also watching Lucy Liu stomp in that outfit is. I mean, if that doesn't get you a little bit excited, something is definitely wrong. <laughs> the actual plot of what's happening in that scene does not make much sense. I didn't even know until Heather explained what was going on that that's what was going on. <laughs> in that she's acting like she's got them all in this room for this like training session or like, you know, I don't know, her TED talk to them or something. And and the, the key is that Cameron Diaz and Drew Barrymore need to do the Mission Impossible thing and break into the inner sanctum of this lab area. I, I, I mean, I get the theory is like she's got to distract these guys, but she's already distracting them in the room. And then she says, we need to go march down to some other area. So all, her and all the guys march down together and then they march pass down the hall and pass Cameron Diaz and Drew Barrymore who need to get into this room at which point yeah. once they've passed they do the things that they could have done two minutes ago to get into the room yeah. anyway there's no correlation between the guys having to be gone and them doing the secret you know secret spy stuff that they have to do to but get I into the room I think it's all music video logic where a crowd of men chasing after following Lucy Liu looks really cool and crazy and there's yes. like a hundred guys or something <laughs> yeah. and I think you know, yeah. some directors just think completely visually, not to give me so much credit, but I think he's just like, I just need movement. I need dynamics. I, I need, guess so. Like the fact that they stayed in that room for that long was probably like torturing McG. And he was like, we have to get out of here. We have to, we need to cut something. We need to blow something up. We need a helicopter to crash through here quick. <laughs> the fact he had to quit, stay so. with this song. This fact that, to, That's the closest I can come to. Yeah, the fact he had to play Barracuda for like two minutes probably was killing him. <laughs> There's so many songs in this movie, but I took one not from the Shadow soundtrack, from the the proper the proper soundtrack. Um, and I just went 
straight up, it's a, I think it's an all-time 90s classic. I went with Groove is in the Heart by D-Light, three E's in the D. It doesn't get the um, theatrics that something like Barracuda gets in it. It's kind of playing in the background just as part of I missed it completely. Pop collage. And I think this is one of the top 10 songs of the 90s. And I think you can put it on at any party and get the party going. And no one's going to roll their eyes or be annoyed when you put this on. And I started looking into it more. And I realized, I think there's a major mistake that I was making about this song, and a lot of people do. Bootsy Collins is in the video, if you remember the video. Yes, totally. And Bootsy Collins was a bassist for um, Parliament Funkadelic. And you just assume that sampled bass riff... Josh, you want to give us a taste, or should I try to do it? Thank you. Is that it? Uh, I think that's it. I'm, that, yeah. I would have liked to have listened to it. Joshua, you're so good um, at that. <laughs> anyway, so this is not a Bootsy Collins who's in the video who's and a famous bassist. bassist. It's actually a sampled bass riff from a Herbie Hancock song. And that song is Bring Down the Birds by Herbie Hancock. And the song is from another soundtrack, and it was really surprising what soundtrack that was. So wait, so Matt, we've got Herbie Hancock's Bring Down the Birds has a bass riff on it that is the sample in Groove is in the Heart that we all recognize. And it is not a Bootsy Collins bass riff who's in the video. In the video, okay. And this song that Herbie Hancock wrote with the sampled bass riff, turns out it's from another soundtrack, and that soundtrack is Antonioni's classic blow up from 1966 and if you're a movie nerd you've seen that's wild yeah that just kind of blew my mind because i think everyone just assumes and they must know that people assume it's bootsy collins because he's a classic 70s bassist and i feel like it's just this perfect little dance song that just became its own thing and became a hit and i'm always pleased when it comes on or i hear it Everything that you've just uncovered about this song and learning what I learned about Barracuda 
I feel like these are things about these songs that McGee did not have a snowball's chance in hell of ever learning or knowing. <laughs> <laughs> and like, you know, we've we've watched all these movies where you can tell that the director is like so fucking invested in yes. the music and his yeah, relationship yeah. to it. When Tarantino comes to mind, yeah. Very quickly. Edgar so Wright. does John yeah. Hughes. So does Edgar yeah. Wright. So does Lawrence Kasdan. Like, yeah. all mm-hmm. of these people are really... Uh, right they they know everything there is to know about all the songs that that are iconic in in their movies and i i really feel like mcgee like has he doesn't have a fucking clue he's just like again i keep coming back to the jukebox he's just like what are the numbers on the yeah. jukebox that get punched the most often those are the songs i want to put on for 15 seconds in my movie can i speak to the jukebox thing here for a moment because I think that we, we've sort of alluded to, at least I have in past episodes, when, when I remember in Pulp Fiction, I was surprised that Jungle Boogie was playing like quietly in the background in the mm-hmm. car while they're having yeah. a conversation. And I was in my memory, Jungle Boogie had been more prominent because I think I've and I, and I allude to the fact that like we, we later get to a point where songs kind of determine what happens in the movie a lot more like, you know, the 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 song will be about what happens or it'll be forefront or whatever. Um, and I think that we're at the point where this is really getting going in this movie. And as I'm looking at mostly the shadow soundtrack here, it's a long, you know, there's so many songs, but what I wanted to point out that's jukebox like about it is that you can see this, like I could just read to you the song. And even if you haven't seen the movie, you know, basically where that song is being used. So for instance, there's the song money. That's what I want. Where do you think that's being used? Does it have to do with money? Well, of course it does, right? There's, <laughs> so, like, um, I love rock and roll. You can already picture like where that song's going to happen in in the in the, the principles of lust is another one, right? Where is that mm-hmm. happening? Well, I bet you it has something to do with a half naked woman. Um, <laughs> and then, of course, you know, problematic ones like we get to turning Japanese. Well, mm-hmm. no, this movie's not going to let that one go by. That's not just there for a vibe, <laughs> right? Like every single song is like there to mimic something on the screen the the idea is that like what i'm saying here is that like there's always this like one-to-one thing happening between the song it's so literal Literal. it's not about Mm -hmm. a vibe except maybe smack my bitch up probably the song that plays the most and it's also super weird that smack my bitch up is the song that plays the most but maybe that one's maybe used kind of vibey because it is sort of always there when the action's going and they're fighting um but even that one they're i guess they're playing with bitch in terms of like they're saying that the women are smacking men and then the men are the bitch the the jukebox factor is really big in this movie i feel like it becomes big in a lot of movies after this i feel like it's pretty standard in movies and tv shows now that songs operate this way this movie might be doing it even more so than any other movie in history perhaps but uh yeah it's 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 become a pretty standard thing i think that's that movies do and tv shows I think you're absolutely right about that, Joshua. And I think you're right to point out that the literalism of how the songs are being used in the movie is like really flat and one dimensional. We have to go far enough to learn that it's not a Bootsy Collins riff, right? We have to go far enough to learn, oh my God, Anne and Nancy Wilson were dealing with reporters asking them if they were involved in an incestuous <laughs> lesbian relationship while they were just trying to be awesome fucking rock stars. Like, you have yeah. to dig that deep to get to a point where the the songs um, 
are are real again and like an actual music because the the movie treats them as set dressing and and as and as captions a great example of of sort of why this is problematic i mean i think it's problematic because it's just not that interesting mostly but a great example that really i think highlights that is the fact that they for reasons i don't even want to begin to wrap my head around they end up on the set of soul train um <laughs> and soul train is like this this might this, be this, the this, worst scene there's no purpose for it in the movie whatsoever but it soul train they're on the set and and soul train is being filmed live and cameron diaz gets invited to come up and 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 dance on the stage and soul train is obviously you know a show that played for decades and decades and has as rich a history as any television show could possibly have when it comes to music so much of like the greatest music in american history like premiered there played there was danced to there was introduced to the nation there and Mm -hmm. she goes up on stage and dances to baby got back which is a fine song. Yeah. It's a fun song, but it's not what anybody thinks about when they think about Soul Train. Like it's not yeah. it's not the kind of music Soul Train played. It's not what Soul yeah. Train was about. And they do it just Diaz. so Cameron can Diaz can get up there and shake her ass, which they're doing a double joke with because on the one hand, the what they're anticipating is the mostly white audience is like, ooh, look at how hot she is when she shakes her ass. But then the entirely black audience at but Soul Train she doesn't is like, have oh back. my God, she doesn't realize she doesn't even have an ass. What a fool. It's just, it's just sort of like, well, there's your joke. Congratulations. I hope you writers cashed those checks because <laughs> I don't know what else you did. Guys, but what's fun about this movie when... Heather did her insane and great and really enjoyable analysis of the year 2000 and corporate layoffs and Barracuda and Dominatrix. If you throw enough shit at the wall... Something will stick. You can find and make these threads and come up with it. Mm -hmm. The reason they played Barracuda is when she walked in because they're like, ooh, killer fish. Don't fuck with her. She's tough. And And I'm sure you can come up with some kind of theory despite what they're doing with this awful soul train. scene probably if you wanted to so i think it's this thing where you just grab five things throw them in a pot mix them around you can have fun with it and play a game where you can come up with better theories in the movie but we know what the movie's up to and because the movie isn't actually trying to be a film right it you don't i don't think you actually have to care very much that <clears throat> it's that it's simple it's a simple movie that, like, and Soul Train is a perfect example of this, as is the uh, the Vapor song turning Japanese playing while, Jesus Christ, Drew Barrymore and Cameron Diaz get into these geisha costumes, <laughs> um, which, like, and yeah. also there's a moment where Drew Barrymore is, like, pretty much in brown face. It's not pretty much. It yeah. is. It is. It is brown um, face. It's, it's like an irresponsible a, it, college Halloween party. That's what's, that's what's going yes, on. Yes, yes, that's right. That's right. Um, there are all these moments of the movie that are that, that do not age well. Uh, that are really uh, just kind of blind. They're they're just like they're very unquestioning, you know. Um, but I don't think that any of those things make it not a fun movie. Well, I mean, if you're an Indian person watching it, you might be like, well, this isn't fun now. <laughs> this is uncomfortable to watch Drew Barrymore. That's a, that's a good, that's a good point. Do you, do you think it's like too much? Do you think that the, that the, the problems with this movie I, and the way that it traffics in, in like race and ethnicity and cultural appropriation make it unwatchable now? Well, I, lo- I, 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 I watch anything and I notice 
it's interesting because when people get upset about movies, they don't get upset about 1930s movies where someone gets slapped, like a woman gets slapped in the face and they're like, snap out of it. They may still watch that movie and talk about it. It may not even bring up that part because it's so part of what you expect. And I, when I was watching this, I was like, oh, this is what I expect. This is like the cultural insensitivity from 20 years ago. Um, I wonder if the moment it was, but they were trying to be like so fun and doing everything. And it was like this maximalist thing going on that they were getting away with it then, I guess. But I was seeing it as, oh, 20 years ago, people were more insensitive and putting it in that place. And I think that probably will just happen more and more as things move on. And then people decide if they want to watch it or not or hate it or whatever. I mean... I was deeply offended by the movie, but it didn't have to do with insensitivities. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I feel like I've just ruined your week by making you watch this movie, Joshua. (laughs) You make me feel like dancing. I want to dance my life away. You make me feel like dancing. I want to dance my life away. If um if you got to play Drew Barrymore, producer Drew Barrymore, not Charlie's Angel Drew Barrymore, and you got to reboot something that you really loved, and and bring it and bring it to a new audience on a bigger stage, what what would you pick? I got I got one because as a child, the world of this movie held so much. There's so much potential, and there were so many secrets, and there were so many things I wanted to find out about it. And it was a one-off movie, and it was a very strange movie. And that movie is Tim Burton's Beetlejuice. Oh. And I don't know if that was ever in the works, and now... So you want, you want wait, a reboot? I'm looking at Joshua. You want a reboot of that, you're saying? I want to continue that world, because oh, I still have okay. no idea. Beetlejuice, remember the waiting room, the guy with the oh, shrunken yeah. head? Yeah. yeah. Is it only in that house and that other dimension? That just seems like there's just so much possibility in whatever that other dimension was beyond the grave or whatever was going on. But I don't remember that soundtrack standing out. So Matt, what music would you need for the rights to in your production? Remember the famous scene when they're all dancing around the table to Harry Belafonte and then the shrimp cocktail turns into hands and grabs their face. Yes. I like how they juxtapose the scariness with, I think it's the banana boat song is the one that um, they all start singing to as they're possessed by Harry Belafonte. So I think I would want to keep that up and just add lots of random, weird, old, strange hits surrounding the spookiness of it. That would be my reboot. I would definitely watch that. It would probably be a bad idea, and it would probably go wrong and disappoint a lot of fans, but I want to hang out in that room and see what what, what happens when you go beyond the waiting room there. We were talking about this uh on our on our group chat earlier this week and i i can't stop thinking about it you guys i really want to see the murder she wrote reboot i'm shocked I, it hasn't happened yeah that I, one feels like it's on the verge of happening or in the worst. i i i i can i there are so many ways it could go we could go back to like 
Jessica Fletcher's younger days and we could take it like real cottagecore Maine, but like in today's times, but we're seeing her in her 20s or 30s and we could like fill it with a bunch of fucking Florence and the Machine and Fleetwood Mac or Ooh. or we could or like or we could uh, we could keep her in in her like kind of middle age and we could just live inside the universe of her and Sheriff Amos Tupper and Doc Hazlitt and all of the incredible number of dead bodies that follow these people in this <laughs> two-horse two town around. Like, I love this idea. I'm leaning toward your origin story, Younger. And like she accidentally like- That's the one that, that is most likely to get made, I would imagine, because they, you know, they get to cast a younger woman, which they would love. But maybe there's a montage where she accidentally solves her first murder at like seven, and they're like, she's got something, <laughs> this young yeah. girl. Yeah, <laughs> how did she become this, this uh, writer she's in the first place? Uh, yeah. <laughs> There's so much there. And and also Angela Lansbury is I mean totally unproblematic and beloved. You to be to have to have been on the earth as long as that woman has without fucking up is like pretty impressive. We can find something. I'm sure there's like a blackface episode of Murder <laughs> Shoot. <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, we're going to have to do some oppo research on this one. I'm sure we can find something. <laughs> you know what? I bet you if we went and we looked in Betty White's files, she's got some yeah. dirt on Angela Lansbury that we could she's just she's just sitting on. She's like, "You fuck with me, <laughs> Angie. I tell you what. I'll go right over to that file so fast. I know what you were doing with Brando." Mhm. We heard what you said about lesbians. <laughs> oh, you're going you're going that way with it. She's a she's a homophobe. I think I think she's <laughs> pure as the driven snow. You guys let me know if I'm wrong. Okay, because I was gonna say if you had to pick her bigotry, which one would it be? <laughs> I think there's none. But you just think there's, the bingo, there's none. A bingo card of bigotry. Yeah. Is it the gay thing? Is she a racist? Yeah, you name an old actor or an old performer and you just have to name what kind of bigot they are. We I mean we've already got we've already got JK Rowling. She's done. Like we've this we've is, we've crossed her off on game. the bingo card. So bigot yeah. bingo. Uh you know, Ronald Reagan, we've you know, he's he's already got a whole like branch of the card crossed yeah. out so him and his cadillac queen that never existed but some of them would be tough you know like uh, uh you know well, angela lansbury would be a difficult one it would be a difficult i would one. say raging anti-semite oh interesting <laughs> i'm joking i was not expecting a thoughtful <laughs> silence after I, said that. I was expecting a burst of laughter and you guys are like gonna, okay I'm let me let me process that <laughs> Fiddler, I'm going to play a little Fiddler on the Roof music underneath this segment while you say that. That went terribly wrong. <laughs> I was going for the shock joke. Both of you were like, all right. Well, I, I was waiting for evidence. I was like, okay, no, you, you might be right. Let, let me hear. Let me hear. <laughs> yeah, I did too. I thought it was coming. She dated uh, Henry Ford. <laughs> she passed out his leaflets about the... Uh, elders of zion or whatever he printed <laughs> yeah yeah oh my god like maybe maybe it's not bigotry maybe she it was like a hit and run like chapaquitic she style? took someone out oh, and kept like, driving <laughs> she, uh, like laura bush style <laughs> you guys keep thinking about these for real <laughs> and the irony of doing murder she wrote like eat ate away at her every episode when we get the defamation lawsuit i just want it to go on record that i did not make these claims i was just here um, listening to them, I am verifying that they were made. They just were not made by me. So I will testify at the trial, just on the side of Angela Lansbury's estate. Yes, she's. Alive. I would like Is to go alive? on the record saying she's a homophobic oh anti-Semite hit and runner. 
I will not stand for Market this on the- libel, <laughs> this blasphemy <laughs> of J.B. Fletcher. No, I love you, Angela Lansbury. You're a, you're a national treasure. Yeah. An international treasure. She really is. I'm sure she is an international treasure. They probably watch that everywhere. Also, isn't she British? Maybe she hates the Irish then. <laughs> <laughs> probably. So, I mean, she sounds British. Her name's very British. Yeah, I, I, I think she's British, unless she's like so old she just talks like that. She's yeah. so old, she just seems British. <laughs> For sure. Well, sometimes that new, that like, yeah. if she's like born in the 1800s, I don't know, <laughs> the yeah. New England thing. Oh, oh God, she's Sorry, so Angela. She just she, seems British. She's going to be on the show next week, so we'll clear all this up. <laughs> Surprise guest. <laughs> Something that I noticed about this movie that uh, really wigged me out that was not about turning Japanese or brown face or any of the other potential things to wig someone out was the fact that the entire plot rests on saving the world from a horrific, unbearable, unimaginable fate of voice recognition software and GPS satellites combining to be able to identify where someone is on the planet at any given time. Yeah. Siri. But it's Siri. That's exactly right. (laughs) Charlie's Angels invented Siri. Charlie's Angels. They tried to warn us about it, but we wouldn't listen. In the year 2000 is so afraid of the world that you and I and everyone listening currently lives in without thinking about it yeah. at all. But you're right. That's, yeah, accepted yeah. it Accepted it in two seconds. Like, we argued about it for like a month around the Iraq invasion time, and then mm-hmm. we were just like, eh, well, what are you going to do? Those terms and agreement and conditions are long. Yeah, and you're just like... <laughs> I'm not going to read that shit. Yeah, and then you're like, I can't get anywhere without a map on my phone anymore. Useful. Yeah, I mean, I look every day at my phone to figure out exactly where on the face of the earth my kid is. Yeah. So the bad guys won. Well, the bad guys. <laughs> Sam Rockwell won. The bad guys. Thanks a lot, Charlie's Angels. Did not I save the, the world. I think the bad guys did win. And well, that's actually true. They, you're right. They actually did. They're yeah. still winning right now. <laughs> um, and and it made me, it made me think actually. Like, are there any doomsday scenarios left to make a movie about <laughs> that haven't already just happened to us? Pandemic. Um, a global pandemic. Like post-apocalyptic armed society. It's all. It's all happening. <laughs> Uh, a, a, the death yeah. of the planet. So I guess I guess we still we still got aliens, right? Yeah, aliens. Aliens might be the final frontier. That that might be the last one that we that we have left to to hope for or dread. But I mean, we're getting yeah. ready to go to Mars, or the rich people are. Good riddance. So. I hope they do. Just Wouldn't that be corner. great? <laughs> God. Oh, all the billionaires get Elon Musk little little spaceship uh-huh. that he's imagined to just get rid of them all. Yeah, but you know they got like a laser up there that they're just going to shoot down on us because they need the yeah. or something. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Well, you guys, 
I think, I think uh, maybe we've said as much as we can about this movie. I tried to make everyone like it. In the, in the course of me trying to make everyone like it, I think you guys have made me like it a little bit less. Well, that's that's a shame. That shouldn't happen. And I I, I, I would feel bad if, if, my, if, if I did that to you or to anybody listening. I th- enjoy what you enjoy. There is plenty of incredibly stupid shit that I like um, and that I like a lot. Uh, I happen, this is not one of them, the stupid <laughs> so things what's that the I good, like. Uh, real quick, I was thinking of this because... Heather was saying there's nothing wrong with a pointless movie, but you have to, you have to, you have to love the pointlessness. So that's true. I agree. If I just don't like this one. So what's one of your pointless movies that you like? That's a great question. Yeah. If, what are, what are your all's like shameful Charlie's angels parentheses, 2000 parentheses movies. I will often choose to watch a seventies trash B movie exploitation crap over like a uh academy award really contender not like like not all the time like i'll go see the academy award thing in the theater so but if i miss it in the theater and then i'm at home later and i'm like it's hard to press that you know button. look and i'm streaming and i see that's there and i'm like i'll get to that later and then i see there's just like some garbage women in prison oh movie or something <laughs> i'm like i haven't seen that one or cannibal <laughs> holocaust or some shit i'm like i haven't seen it yet though so that mine would be the genre that that shit doesn't need to exist it's stupid it's terrible and for some reason and I, you want to watch all of it. it yeah i don't know Ignorant minds are free them. If you tired of the same old every day, you will agree them. The most obligated. Uh, I have a feeling that we know that this is not the perfect movie soundtrack. <laughs> but what do we think of this this jukebox soundtrack entry into the into the uh, what do you call them? Pantheon. Um, did you just say Pantheon? Yeah, I did say panties on. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. That's exactly where I was going. That's like a superpower, right? <laughs> yes. One of the Charlie's Angels has to say it to the other Charlie's Angels. Right. Panties on. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not the perfect movie soundtrack. We know that. But does this jukebox soundtrack enter into uh, our our world uh, of exploring the relationship between the movie and the soundtrack in a way that makes you appreciate the movie Charlie's Angels more or the music. Ugh, more. I don't know. I'm cause I'm looking at it. And I'm like, I, I lean one way and then I see angels eye by Aerosmith, <laughs> but then I'm like, okay, got to give it up by Marvin Gaye. And they're doing the fun seventies things. But then I see uh Ya mama by fat boy slim. And I just, <laughs> I'm just confused. I might not for once in my life have a take. Whoa. Wow. So maybe this is the perfect movie soundtrack. It's <laughs> rendered me speechless. I am stunned. Even you, be, something rendering you speechless in turn renders me speechless. Like I have, I don't know what to say about a world where Matt doesn't have a take. It's a cycle of violence. I welcome it. I think. I All think right, let's calm down. Let's. I can come up with something, guys. <laughs> <laughs> it really points to how remarkable uh, this is, or or maybe it, unremarkable. Yeah, maybe it's about how pointless it is. I yeah, think that really... I I appreciate this movie soundtrack within our historical timeline. We did not have a, a jukebox soundtrack movie yet, and we needed it. We're gonna yeah. see more of them. 
as we get into the 21st century, I think this is an important turning point in the soundtrack history and experience. I don't know if it's this specific movie, but it's it might be. Mm-hmm. It might be this specific movie mm-hmm. because it fits right into this moment where things are happening in this way. So much so that uh, American Psycho came out the same year and it wasn't yeah. doing this. Yep. So we're at a pivot. Yep. I appreciate that. Uh, I don't appreciate this actual soundtrack or this actual movie, but I appreciate history. And a, this is historically this is like a, relevant. <laughs> that's a good political answer if we're like in a um, Democratic primary, or Republican <laughs> primary right now. And you're like, yeah, right. It is. It's just pop culture on steroids. And I think it's a, it's a new level. I mean, it's not. It's like whatever stronger than steroids. This is on pop culture style. HGH. <laughs> it's pop culture on HGH. What's HGH? Human growth hormone. Oh, <laughs> it's why baseball players hit home runs. Right, 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 right. There's so many uh, home runs. I actually don't think this is a complicated question at all. I think definitively the soundtrack is much better than the movie. And the only reason Sorry. why and the only reason that it needs is because it gave us Independent Women Part 1. Yeah, that's big. I mean, I, I'm serious. Like, I, I'm, I genuinely think that that song and what it did... Uh, for Beyonce and what Beyonce in turn did for the rest of us is like all the money that flower films and Sony and McGee and drew and everybody all the time they spent it's worth it. That was, that was a worthwhile outcome. Wow. You guys are dead. silent. Well, I mean, you know, our Beyonce take, so then <laughs> meh. <laughs> you can't say man without meh. No, I, I understand that I am participating in um, something that that is probably uh, not good of me <laughs> in my meh feelings about it, but it's fine. It's fine. I, of course, I am participating in those things in some ways that I don't know about it. Yeah. So it's good to know about it. Yeah. Matt, as usual, after we wrap up one of my episodes, I turn it over to you and ask you, what are you going to do next we already know what full throttle yes that's right. <laughs> i was thinking about kenny loggins a while back when top gun came out so i posed a question to our instagram followers and did a little poll and i feel like kenny loggins has two big soundtrack moments top gun and footloose and so i asked them which direction should we go and they overwhelmingly went with footloose Nice. Yes. Bring it on. Well done. Footloose is such a fun, bad, weird, silly, dumb movie to watch that I think it's. I'm actually really excited to watch it again. And I was listening to parts of the soundtrack, and I forgot. Let's hear it for the boy is on there. <laughs> Remember that? Song? Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna enjoy the soundtrack. I can already predict that. Uh, yeah, and there's a couple of. Oh, and I need a hero is on there. Remember, I need a hero. And there's mm. obviously Footloose. So there's some fun sleeper. And I just remember it's like dancing is illegal, and John Lithgow is mad, and that's yeah. all I remember about the movie. So I'm psyched. Well, and Kevin fucking Bacon. And Kevin Bacon, yeah, of course. cute little young. <laughs> although he, he was old to me because I saw it in the theater. I was very young. And that's the only time I've ever seen it. That's the only time? Oh, this is going to be great. I don't think I've ever actually seen the totality of the movie oh, from the beginning be to fun. the end in order. Yeah. And yeah, I cool. wanted to give a shout out to our, our faithful Instagram likers. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, I think it'll be fun. 
Kevin Bacon has had a hell of a career. Like he's been good his whole life. Like he was good young. He's good middle age. He's good older now. I mean, I like him in everything. Ooh, that'll be fun. Yeah, we'll do I mean, a Kevin Bacon that, like, rundown in this episode. I think the six degrees of Kevin Bacon is not just a joke because of how many things he's done. It's because he's just so, you know what? He is like Angela Lansbury. Pure as the driven snow. Oh, okay, I thought you were gonna say. Uh... All right, now we got to go. Now we got to go to Christian Slater's little file cabinet and find out what Oppo research he's got on Kevin Bacon. <laughs> He's the new kid in town, and the music's on his side. Let's dance! Paramount Pictures presents Footloose. Thanks for listening. There's a link to a Spotify playlist in the show notes if you'd like to check out the music from this episode, as well as our Twitter and Instagram at TPMS Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Loving the reviews and the ratings. We really do text each other giddy about them whenever we get new ones. So thanks for taking a moment to do that. And if you haven't already, we sure would appreciate it if you could. We'll leave you this week with a special little bonus segment. An Easter egg, if you will. Imagine Samuel L. Jackson appearing after the credits to tell you that, I don't know, Hawkeye's gonna save the world or something like that. Hopefully... This is a little bit more exciting than that. For Matt and Heather, this is Joshua, and we'll see you in two weeks with another episode of The Perfect Movie Soundtrack. Okay, so I, I, here's my question for you. Question. And again, you guys are just going to have to bear with me and trust me on this a little bit. So this this was meant to be, and I think this is probably why Drew Barrymore invested time and money into it, uh, a movie that would be like inspiring to women, right? The song Independent Woman is definitely supposed to be kind of like uplifting, Right. And so I'm wondering, like, to what extent, like, we can see that reverberating into in, in, in our present life. So I ask you, as as parents of daughters, if your daughter is going to be one of these characters or going to love one of these characters, which character would you pick? Bill Murray. <laughs> <laughs> Drew, Cameron or Lucy Liu, because I can't keep track of their names. No question. My kid is a Drew Barrymore. Not even, there's no contest. There's, there's, there's not even a, a dash of Cameron or Lucy in my kit. <laughs> uh, and maybe that is no coincidence since I am also a very clear Drew in this schema. All right. Mm. I, I mean, p- part okay. of it, part of it too is like, Drew's by far the most like dimensional character of the three of them. Is she? I mean, it's hard to pick. I think that you could <laughs> the other ones. <laughs> you can pick you can pick, pick Cameron Diaz I if you are really paying very close attention to her backstory. Like she seems to be the the sciencey nerdy one. She's supposed to be super smart. One, yeah, it's just like under this veneer of of like goofiness and kind of absent mindedness. Um I think it is My... a little hard to pick Lucy Liu. Little, little hard to, to want to see your kid uh, in that role. Yeah, I really was not relating to them as humans when I was watching it. Well, but I don't think that kids are relating to characters that they uh, like literally idolize. That they like turn into icons yeah. and idols as as like real people either. They're thinking about. I mean, this is why the Spice Girls is what the Spice Girls is. It's like you have to have a. The one that feels most like you as the relatable, right. uh, I'm the X one, I'm the Y one. Or the one you, you want to feel most like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I can't, I can't, I honestly can't. There's, 
that's why there's five Spice Girls, not three, maybe. Okay, so you're you're picking Drew Barrymore, Heather, and Matt, you refuse to pick. I can't if this is going on the record and she'll grow up one day, she'll be like, What were you thinking? <laughs> I really I really don't see because she's like she can be silly, but she's kind of moody and introspective, but then she has this like sarcastic sense of humor, a lot of eye rolling. There's not a lot of eye rolls. They're kind of participating a lot. <laughs> I can't do Bill Murray. <laughs> no, I no. It had to be one of the one of the ladies. Um, I don't know if my share screen's going to work. Oh um, if not, I'll try it a different way. Um, oh, open system preferences. But this was going to be okay. So that's not going to work. So maybe the only way to do it then is that if you have your phones or your uh, things around there, because I think that that will complete what I'm going for here. <laughs> if you have your, if you can check your text messages. What is going on? <gasps> oh my god so so uh, my daughter will be whichever third one you didn't pick <laughs> what um i need to uh i guess narrate this where joshua is going to be a very proud father and he just sent us a when did you get this oh man i totally ruined that i, I assumed i assumed i was going to be left with lucy Lou, but you know <laughs> Joshua, congratulations. Yes, congratulations, Joshua. This Thank is you. so I'm amazing. I'm so happy for you. Thank you. You are going to be a dad. That's amazing. Yes. Congratulations. A dad of a girl. Yes. Lucky you. The girls club rules. Yes, I have a girl. And um, <laughs> my sisters have five boys between them. So this is pretty cool. When is this girl coming? November. Okay, so that'll be a year of the podcast. And then we'll stop for a year and then we'll come back. <laughs> how is your daughter at editing oh yeah that's that's definitely happening very young that's the point of having kids right yeah 